0: FBI radio oh gosh those chopper blades are noisy and in a, in a, in a small <laughs> confined space but professor Kurt Iverson's returning uh, from geography at Sydney uni and we're about to chat down to earth it's our fortnightly conversation about how we can make our cities fairer and more sustainable and today we're talking cars traffic and roads which is why the choppers out it's yeah. circling the city and it's going to give us a bit of a picture with Kurt's guidance of just where we are in terms of our transport. Well, Look, yes. We're pretty clogged at the moment, but I hear that it always hasn't been like this. And yeah, maybe it doesn't well, have to be like this in the future. That's
1: right. So I figure, you know, it's one of those sort of daily things in city life, right? Actually, lots of people listening to the radio, uh, you know, the half of us that do it every morning, you know, traffic reports come on. Talk about where the roads are busted up. And so, you know, from day to day, it's kind of like there's congestion, there's traffic. We talk about being stuck in it, even though we are it. Um, But even if you're not out there on a motorbike or driving a car, like... I figured we could get into a wider discussion about the fact that, yeah, roads and, you know, the fact that they do get clogged up and where they go and how much space they take up and what it's like to be on them and trying to get across them and all that stuff is just such a big defining part of the urban experience. And right now in this city, such a big contested part of our urban experience, you know, like um, just whether it's arguments about... Cyclists on roads, or arguments about billions of dollars being spent on freeways, or whatever yeah. it happens to be, it's a big deal. So, well, we are going to talk about West it. Connects yeah. a little bit
0: later on. But, look, looking at the problem of traffic,
1: yeah, yeah, there's
0: traffic everywhere, it's all across the city. But, are people more dependent on transport? In some areas than others, I'd imagine further out west where there is less public transport.
1: Yeah, Yeah, the reality of it is you've got to get in your car. Exactly, exactly. So that's the first big thing to say, of course, is that, yeah, that um, particularly in the parts of our city that are sort of growing the fastest um, out in the western areas, those are the parts of the city that have also been sort of developed with the car in mind. And so, um, you know, really built around roads car driving as a sort of mode of mobility
0: so if we're designing cities right now with the car in mind it obviously means that cars are going to be part of the picture
1: well that's the, have any other you know, that's it it is still you know kind of the open question right which is mm. that even if you think about the big plan for sydney at the moment that's been launched by the greater sydney commission you know one of the things that they're trying to set up is this kind of idea of the city of cities with their sort of eastern city and their based around the CBD in the eastern suburbs and then a central city based around Parramatta and then a kind of western city based around further west areas and particularly the third, uh, the not the third airport, which is only the second airport, but um, yeah, the Badgeries Creek Airport and the sort of third city being built around that. And part of what their solution to these, you know, problems of traffic and congestion and all the costs of it is to try and get people's lives organised within those cities so that rather than people having to necessarily travel all the way from you know, um, parts west into parts east or vice versa. Imagine living
0: in the Blue Mountains and working in Parramatta, well, if not the Blue Mountains, rather than travelling into the CBD. Yeah, and lots of people are sort
1: of, that's right, lots of people are doing that already, but they're trying to, I think, just make that a bit more organised. So this idea of everybody being in this kind of, you know, 30-minute city where everything that you need is within 30 minutes, jobs, shopping, fun stuff, whatever it happens to be, But, of course, there's still then, even within that structure, this kind of sense of, well, how do we connect those three cities and what are they going to be, the main arterial connections, you know? And are they going to be train lines? Are they going to be freeways? How how do we connect?
0: Right. How do we connect these places?
1: (laughs) How do we connect? And, like, the thing about that question is that, in a funny way, when you go back into the history of this city, this sort of tension between... um, the kind of chaotic, slightly unplanned transport mess that we have and attempts to sort of control it so it's been... has actually <laughs> been with us for a while. Yeah. So how can
0: it be unplanned? You'd think a road would be such considered.
1: Well, yeah, it sort of is, except, you know, it's considered, but it can be quite haphazard. So if you go right back to the early days of the sort of colony and, you know, um, the appropriation and invasion of this land uh, that we're on, um, you know, Governor Phillips just... Plonked a road from A to B wherever they needed to get, and so you know, unlike a lot of cities that were developed later and maybe with this very planned grid system of roads, Sydney's road system you can just sort of tell by looking at a satellite map or a Google map. A lot of the roads are just like, oh yeah, on a page. need to get from here to there. Then there's a ridge, and there's a track that the Aboriginal people maybe used to use to get from A to B. So we'll plonk a road. You know, um,
0: Well, that's an interesting history that maybe we can touch upon at another time.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there's roads actually, that are
0: based on Indigenous tracks.
1: Yeah, there's been a bit of research going on about yeah. that at uni recently, actually. It's really interesting. So it's kind of like we had that and then um, even back in the early 1800s, some of the major roads, which obviously weren't for cars at that point, but they were still, you know, sometimes built by private contractors and had tolls on them. And there were all sorts of controversies about that back in the day. I always
0: thought that the Harbour Bridge was the first toll road.
1: Yeah, what well, it turns out, no. Mm. Um, there were all these other sort of weird tolls. So, again, it was the first major, I guess, one for cars um, that was set up like that. But, um, yeah, this question of tolls and pricing and where they go and who gets access to them has been with us for a long time.
0: So, Professor Kurt Iverson, you're here. We're talking transport in Sydney. This is Down to Earth, our fortnightly chat about our sustainability and the built environment. When did trains come along and alleviate some of this road yeah, tension? Yeah, well,
1: that was the thing. So, the trains became the kind of key mass transit as they started getting built from about the 1870s, 1880s onwards. And really um, that, you can just sort of see how, you know, planning and development and transport interact because that just cracked open a whole bunch of new developments in the city that were sort of clustered around those railway lines as they were built so, you know, it sort of opened up new areas for development and that was really the key mode of mass transport for sort of 50 years or so um, until The widespread take-up of cars, uh, 1930s, 1940s onwards, when we start to see... Cars get affordable um, and you know, manufactured in Australia. Who and,
0: wants to be in a train though, Kurt, when you can be so independent? Yeah.
1: In well, a car. Look, and Isn't you look at the, you, at the you time? and Tony Abbott over here. That's and, right. Yeah, the, <laughs>
0: and still are marketed.
1: Yeah, you know? yeah, that's right. Um, when you think
0: of four wheel drives, so you think of a shiny one driving across the top of a yeah, mountain and listen, that, well, rather two, than one dropping the kids to school in Double Bay.
1: Exactly. And like those two elements that you've just sort of picked up on there, right? Like that's the kind of part of the ideology of the car. And it's not like it's just purely ideology it's kind of real on a, on a level right which is one you're kind of quote unquote master of your domain you know this is why I think as I say Tony Abbott in one of his books talked about people being kings in their car only kings I don't know about queens but mm. like uh, just that sense of you know you being not having to deal with the masses, not having to deal with everybody else, which of course you sort of do, but you're on the road, but you're just in your little bubble on the road. And so you've got your sort of private space in the public space there. But the second thing about the car, of course, is that it just frees you up from the fixed route and it frees you up from the timetable. So suddenly that sort of freedom to leave when you want and not have to get the certain train or the certain bus and to pick your route. And, you know, it's a kind of illusory freedom on one hand, right? Because it is still determined by where the roads go and it's still determined by how bad the traffic is and how many other people are Mm. doing the same thing that you're trying to do. As Um,
0: demonstrated perfectly uh, this morning. Yeah, yeah, that's right.
1: And you know, it is the crazy thing about then the way that we do set up roads for that, that you can be out there right now, 10 o'clock, Botany Road, it's like mayhem and in an hour you would be able to walk across it easily the thing will be empty. So, you know, these sort of peaks and uh, and troughs of sort of busyness and traffic and everything that we've sort of, you know, have to set up the roads around the car um, for the demand when it happens and it tends to happen in these peaks. And so we've got underutilized roads all the time, but the effect of it, like to cut a long story short, is that if you now look at the publicly accessible space of a city like Sydney, overwhelmingly that public space is actually in the form of public access roads, whether they be the big eight-lane freeways or whether it be the local streets and the cul-de-sacs. So you're talking
0: about if you sort of broke down a map into percentages, the actual land mass taken up by by the roads. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So just try and imagine that. Picture it in your minds, people in Radio Land. I wish we could show pictures. But, you know, if you just took a map of any given city and just the only colour that was on that map was that you shaded black the roads and the car parks. And just think about how much of the space in any given neighbourhood would be taken up by that.
0: Do you know what it is? Uh, Well,
1: it's roughly, it's sort of, no, I don't. Uh, (laughs) And again, like the thing is that different studies have been done in different cities to try and sort of compare it. There's a guy called Ron Horvath who did this work in the States in the 60s and is now based in Australia. But he talked about, you know, he talked about it, he did articles about what he called machine space. It was just sort of space set aside for it. So... All these things that we can get into after the break about that machine space, about like how much space is set aside for it, the costs of building more of it, what life is like in machine space and on it. Like it's a big set of questions for us to get into.
0: Well, shall we take a pause now? I think so. Um, I'll let Professor Codarvison get his breath back. We're talking (sighs) transport, um, past, sort of present, and future in Sydney. It's down to earth, and it will be returning after this one. we're circling sydney in the traffic helicopter on down to earth this morning on fbi radio 94.5 affirm it's our fortnightly conversation about sustainability in the urban environment and we are talking transport in sydney a bit of its history its current situation and future solutions to connectivity and transport something that's been a little controversial yeah, and when I say a little, I'd yeah. say that's a huge like understatement. A yep. is, is the West Connects project. So it's going to be impossible to talk about transport in the inner city yeah. and out of the inner city without talking about that. So maybe.
1: Yeah, and I think, look, I, yeah, I think
0: all these. And let me just shut down that.
1: Oh, there there it goes. Yeah, well, we just ran out of petrol. Okay. So. <laughs> Landed safe. Yep. Oh. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's a kind of good way for us to start the second half because it's just such a a flashpoint in this debate about whether or not we should keep building around the car effectively, right? So we've got to this point by the end of the 20th century, early 21st, where it's become the dominant mode of mobility. We build for it suburban estates are built on the presumption in Sydney, not always in other cities, but certainly in Sydney, that people will have access to cars and that's how they're going to get around primarily and then, even if we put public transport in, they're going to drive to that, da-da-da. And so, you know, this big project upwards of $20 billion being spent on it, trying to connect different parts of the city, ease traffic by building this giant freeway Um, and as you say, it's just so many sort of flashpoints around do we want to keep doing that? Will it actually work? How many homes and neighbourhoods are being destroyed to make way for it? What's happening to the parklands that are being knocked down for it? You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So many There's of There's been so much community
0: yeah. debate and protest surrounding West Connects as well.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the key things to say about it to start with that really sets our context for the politics of mobility and what, how hard it will be to change the dominant modes is just how much that project has really been push through in in quite authoritarian and sort of fairly undemocratic ways, I'd have to say, right? So, you know, the environmental impact statement for the project that was presented to the public for response was just kind of based on a concept design and a whole bunch of other things were kept as commercial in confidence because we're going to have this public-private partnership you know, um, Mm. to get it done. That many of um, you know, 10,000 community submissions on the final third of the road construction um, and it's like companies were already bidding to get it built at the time it's just being pushed right on through um even some of the dissenting local governments that were saying actually we're not sure about this you know they all just just happened to get caught up in being you know sacked for administrators to be amalgamated um at the same time as this project was going through just crazy stuff going on in this town it's around sinister. that project yeah. yeah so you know all these kind of lively council meetings a, you know, year-long camp at Sydney Park to protest the expansion of Houston Road. I mean,
0: are we at the point where it's rolling ahead and there's not much more community?
1: Well, yeah, this is the thing. I mean, I happen. think you know the protest still rolls on, and the thing I guess that some of it anyway seems to be moving into is still that until it's done, it's not done. Um, and this is something that we learned in this town in the 1970s, where you can still see bits of freeway that were about to be built that never got finished like at the fig street down at ultimo um where freeway construction was kind of stopped in its tracks and i think if you look at places like at the moment um you know there's the sort of stop west connects groups there's trucks off Maddox street groups there's kind of all these you know movements happening um and in some places they're still now having success in trying to, you know, get the layout of the roads around exits and entries, you know, redesigned to take trucks off residential streets um and cars off residential streets, et cetera, et cetera. So there's still, you know, work that those groups so are doing still that's actually work having that's yeah, that's actually having some real effects. Great. Um but yeah, I just also thought that, you know, I think this is the thing that, right, when we think about the politics of roads, we do tend to go to those big projects like West Connects and think about, oh, how are we going to stop the freeways? And like, it's massively important. But in the meantime, there's a really interesting politics around the rest of the machine space, right? The sort of local roads that aren't the giant eight-lane freeways and and what happens with them uh, that I think we could sort of get into.
0: So, what does happen?
1: Well, yeah, These are
0: roads that you aren't thundering down across six lanes, these are more community.
1: Yep, exactly. And so, again, any given community tends to be, you know, built around them. And again, as, you know, one of our texters has just pointed out, that's going to be different in a kind of low-density suburban environment compared to a medium-density or high-density environment. But, um, yeah, local roads everywhere... And, you know, there's been some really interesting activism that's also started in Australia about how we reclaim some of those roads for people, not just for cars, right? That again, we
0: kind of pioneering a little yeah, in that yeah. area?
1: So, I mean, there's a fellow up in Brisbane, David uh, Engwich, who's been like globally influential in working with communities on how they can sort of reclaim their local roads. Because even those roads um, that 100 years ago would have been there but would have been shared by bikes and kids and horses and carts and eventually cars as they arrive but now you know we it's even if a car barrels down a road at 50 kilometres an hour it kind of clears everything else out of its path and nobody wants to use the road but so he's come Makes up with it's a bit
0: with, unsafe for street cricket doesn't it yeah, yeah right
1: so he's just come up with all sorts of wonderful little strategies working with local communities like he was the guy that invented the walking school bus about you know all of kids are Worried about walking on their own to school oh, we've, we've because we've of cars. Oh, we talked about that before. Are. That's yeah. up on the, the podcast. Yep, yep. And he's also done things like neighbourhood pace cars, where it's like if you're worried about the speed of traffic in your area, then getting residents to agree to be the car that literally just drives around the neighbourhood really slowly so that everybody gets stuck behind them. Uh, things like just hanging, hanging banners from the poles and wires in your street and doing chalk writing on the road that just and putting couches on the verge that just... Occupies it with human beings, not just machines, and sends these sort of cues to drivers to just slow down, chill, share the road. Um, and
0: maybe we can put up some links to some of these strategies um, yeah. at, the, at the end of our conversation. Yeah. Yeah. On, on so he's
1: like a street reclaiming website that he's got, which is fantastic. And this is a thing that, like now, you know, there's a concept that the Dutch have called the Woonerf that they're experimenting with, which is, again, just basically, rather than having the kind of functional separation that's been the big design strategy for streets, where, yeah, you just separate the pedestrians and separate the bikes and separate the cars into their own bit, they've just got, in some low and uh, middle-density areas, these things called boon that are, quote-unquote, shared streets. So there are effectively no separations of any of those activities and hardly any rules and the idea. Being How does there. it not
0: fall into chaos right. without any rules? Well, exactly,
1: and that is their whole theory, right? That actually, when there aren't rules, what happens is that people have to negotiate with one another on the spot. So cars don't barrel down these things really fast because kids are playing on them, uh, and because people are out, you know, using them for other activities. So there's this kind of people actually have to be conscious that they're sharing the space with other people because there aren't all these kind of rules about, well, I'm supposed to be here and you're not, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And it does just actually work eventually when people get into the habit of doing these kind of little negotiations, right? So it can be kind of cool. Um, And I think like these are the things that we should be thinking about when we're trying to think about, um, you know, changing um, the I guess the way that cities are organized around the machine and the space that it's allocated to it, because my worry in some ways is that we're in terms of thinking about the future of mobility, we could sort have of go to a other bunch of solutions about, oh well, we just cars are bad emissions, but hey, electric cars and that'll fix it uh you know or, well autonomous roads, roads
0: are funded by
1: Taxes on on
0: fossil fuels. Yeah, yeah. So, so even, if you replace half the cars with electric cars, what's going to be paying for the roads that they're on?
1: Yep, yep. So that's right. So even getting to a point where we shift. Our existing form of automobility from kind of petrol-based cars not to electric is to be. I'm not pooing electric
0: cars. No. I'm just saying that it's 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 not as simple as just replacing the yeah, cars. A yeah, lot that's yeah, yeah. That's gonna right.
1: About. And that's the thing that it, That's another thing that just really illustrates the way that all this stuff is just really deeply ingrained in our society. Not just individual choices that we make about whether to drive a car or not, but as you say, forty cents in every dollar of petrol that gets sold go into government in excise. Now, if suddenly everybody stops buying petrol because they've got wonderful electric cars, there's a whole system of finance and blah, 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 that's going to come crashing down around it that we're going to have to rethink. It uh, needs to be
0: reconsidered, yes. Yeah,
1: yeah. And you know, all the infrastructure is going to be required with public charging stations and et cetera, et cetera, to keep those cars on the road. So yeah, even actually making it an adjustment like that, just about the technology that of the car is going to, you know, disrupt a whole bunch of sort of social arrangements. But thinking, you know, even more deeply about whether that idea of the car can be disrupted, you can just think of all the ramifications down the track uh, and what we need to do. Some big stuff. but Well,
0: thank you, Kurt. Big conversation possibly can channel off into some smaller conversations that we can return to. Yeah, in, in yeah, the yeah. And so as week. I say, as
1: you were saying, I reckon for people, if you're interested, like, you know, there's, uh, as well as the West Connects action groups that are easy to find online, you know, go check out Reclaim the Streets and see what they're doing about you know, having parties on streets to transform their existence. Go check out the Parking Day activists that are paying for car parking spaces and laying down turf and turning them into parks instead of parking spaces. Like, all these things going on, totally worth checking out and hopefully just pointing towards a different future for our cities and their machine spaces.
0: Thank you so much, Kurt. Well, this is the traffic helicopter coming back to... <laughs> pick you up and, and whisk you whisk you off to uni or whatever you're up to today. Yeah. Um, our conversation will continue in another fortnight. In the meantime, all of the podcasts are up. There's a link on the program page, fbiradio.com slash programs. Click on mornings and it's all up there. Thank you very much, Kurt.
1: Right on, Alex. Thank you. This podcast is produced by
0: FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.